Hello and welcome to the MetaPropCast, the podcast of technology and innovation in real estate, where we feature the world's best prop tech CEOs, founders, and VCs. I'm your host, Phil Russo, founding partner of MetaProp Advisors. Today, July 9th, we are speaking with Ellie Feingold, who happens to be entrepreneur-in-residence at Metaprop. So we are speaking to one of our own, a rare occasion. Hi, Ellie. Hey, Phil. It's really great to have you on the show. Um, You've done many things in your career. I'd like to try to get up to date on all of them and what you're looking at in the future. First of all, though, why did you come to Metaprop, and how are you defining your role as entrepreneur-in-residence here? Well, you know, I like to joke that entrepreneur-in-residence is a nicer way of saying gainfully unemployed. Um, <laughs> but um, because uh, it's, it's really more of an affiliation uh, that I have with Metaprop at the moment, um, although a very, very productive one. So I came to Metaprop, um, I think, for two reasons. One is um, I had been... Uh, through a very difficult time in my life, uh, which I've written about extensively, where I went through the hurricane in Puerto Rico and a variety of other things. Um, And Aaron Block and the Metaprop team reached out to me with one simple question, which was, how can we help? You're important to our community. We want to do what we can. Um, And so the the first reason I came was simply because there was an act of uh, what I will call kindness, um, graciousness by the Metaprop team, and that impressed me enormously, and I remain very grateful for that. The other reason, and the more business reason, is uh, that Metaprop is doing some incredibly exciting things. Uh, And as particularly over the last couple months, uh, as we've seen all of the announcements come out, the company has morphed from an accelerator and events producer into really um, a full-fledged prop tech platform. So with the announcement of Fund 2, they now have, uh, Metaprop now has uh, significant funds to invest in early stage companies backed by some of the most prominent LPs you could possibly ask for in the industry. Metaprop Advisors continues to draw out its platform uh, and provide consulting services to the industry that help connect the prop tech community to the greater uh, real estate ecosystem. Uh, and then the various accelerators continue to pick up steam, both with uh, the new cohort that's about to launch uh, in, the, in the coming months, as well as the Bridge program in Europe. So you take all of these things together, and uh, for somebody like me who is looking to get my toes wet back in the industry, in an industry that I've been a part of for many years, uh, Metaprop was really uh, the perfect platform uh, for for me to get access to all sorts of new ideas, new companies, uh, new partners, and uh, and, uh, everything else. Um, And it's also been a good platform, frankly, for me to uh, let people know that I'm back. You are back indeed, and you started (laughs) in this world um, ahead of many others. In your real estate and entrepreneurial careers, you've been what I like to call paleo-prop-tech. Not to say that you're old, uh, but you started uh, before a lot of people. I mean that you were far ahead of the curve as an early advocate and adopter of prop-tech. So what did you see in this world before the term prop-tech was even defined? 
Well, first of all, you're threading a, a very fine semantic needle by using the word paleo and not <laughs> now calling me old. And uh, I appreciate your attempts to mitigate that, um, however unsuccessful they may be. Um, <laughs> uh, that said, my first, um, my first exposure to what we now call PropTech was actually in 1998. I had recently sold my first company, which was a web services company, and was looking around for, uh, for my next um, company to start. And I partnered with an old friend of mine who had been a real estate broker, where we took a look at the uh, transactional industry and said, this is not particularly efficient. Um, this does not necessarily serve the needs of the small tenants, which was our focus. Uh, and there is an opportunity for uh, disruption within this industry to provide automated or more automated matching of tenants to space. Uh, and so we started a company called qubits.com. Uh, and at that time, uh, we were one of the very, very first people in, in PropTech. Some of the others that were out there were CoStar was just getting started. LoopNet was just getting started. Excelligent was just getting started. Um, there was just a handful of us that were around. Um, and uh, it was, I, I think it was an idea that we're now seeing played out. Um, whether it's with, with a whole bunch of companies and even corporates with the uh, uh, CBR, we just launched, launched their Spacer product, which is really doing some of the same things. Liquid Space is doing this and all these other companies. So it was that vision that really got me in. Now, on the one hand, you say, what great forward-thinking vision. On the other hand, when you're that early, you're also just wrong, which is something I've come to accept. <laughs> um, so ever since then, um, I found uh, property technology to be um, an enormously interesting space because it is the convergence of the digital world and the built world, which means that it is the place where if you sort of flip the flip, you know, sort of flip the two sides of the coin, it's where we spend most of our time, either in the digital world on our computers or our phones or our televisions. And a lot of that time is spent in the physical built world in our offices and our homes and restaurants and retail, et cetera. So to me, there's no bigger place to make an impact in the world and what the future of the world is going to look like than in real estate technology. You spent um, a great deal of time at uh, Insignia and CBRE uh, in the technology realm. How can you contrast what you found there with what you're seeing in prop tech entrepreneurism now? Well, I think that... Um, the answer is, is, is multi-layered. Um, first of all, in my time at each of those companies, when I was chief innovation officer of Insignia, which bought my former company, Qubits.com, and I was in chief innovation officer there from around 2000 to 2003. Um, when I was there, it was at the end of one cycle. Right? The stock market had just crashed. The dot-com bubble had burst. Uh, and then it was a period of, uh, of, uh, of frankly, of great carnage. Uh, and, and a lot of the time was spent, um, you know, finding ways to either save, put on the shelf, or, um, you know, terminate um, uh, companies that had been invested in in the bubble. Um, some of which were really good companies that just failed to time it correctly, and some of which were not so good companies. Um, so, you know, that during the period that I was in Signia, there were very, very few props tech startups emerging. And I think one of the things I'd, that I always find interesting is that real estate, which is a highly cyclical business, um, has a tendency to do something that's a little counterintuitive. And that is uh, real estate firms tend to invest in technology when the cycle is good 
and then to cut their investments in technology when the cycle goes bad, um, which has always seemed to me uh, like a counterintuitive concept because if you invest in technology when the cycle is bad, you're best positioned to be a leader when the cycle turns good. It's also a time when investing in technology is cheapest, and it's also a time when change management is, e is easiest um, because the financial pressures uh, to save costs and create efficiency are greater than in the, in the good times when money is flowing in across the board. So that was my time at Insignia. Um, at CBRE, I entered the market, uh, entered the company as head of global innovation, um, which meant I crossed all of our business lines and all of our geographies, uh, which is across a giant platform. It's fascinating. Um, but I entered that market at uh, right sort of at the beginning of this cycle. So it was in 2010, and it was when uh, we were beginning to start to shake off the effects of the crash. Uh, and people were beginning to poke their heads up and say, okay, we've, we've survived this catastrophe. We can look towards the future. And during my time at CB, we watched the first, you know, this first wave of these current prop tech companies emerge. And I worked closely with almost all of them, the VTSs and high towers and comp stacks and liquid spaces and, uh, and even 42 floors, which was one of the first out there and, uh, floor, which was eventually bought by CBRD. And so that was sort of, the, I sort of was there for the first wave to take place. Um, what's happening now since I've left CBRE has been a giant jump, I think, uh, which is that um, we've now seen uh, not only a renewed commitment from investors and owners, from service providers and from tenants to incorporating technology into the built environment, but we've also seen that commitment manifested in funding. And... The funding in many cases is not just in companies, but in the establishment of significant capital focused on prop tech for the long term. Funds like um, Metaprop has just raised, or bigger funds like Fifth Wall, uh, and so many others that are focused on prop tech. And one of my hopes is that for this cycle is that because there is now that capital that has already been pre-allocated for prop tech, that when we hit the next cycle and um, all of you younger entrepreneurs out there, please know the next cycle will come. Uh, it always has, it always will. Uh, the next down cycle will come. But now there will be a pool of committed capital um, from both strategic corporate investors and from independent VCs focused on prop tech, which I hope will allow us to sustain across the cycle for the first time ever. Wow, great point. So as someone with great experience in traditional real estate firms, are you seeing these companies now catching up to other industries and technology, or is real estate still lagging badly? Well, I think that uh, I think that we are still lagging, um, and I think there's—I'd say that there's sort of three big reasons for that. Um, one of those is that the traditional services firms or the services firms. Um, which are very, very big and have come to really dominate huge portions of the industry and the ability to implement and to make decisions around real estate technology. Um, those firms, it's, it's, it's easy to forget, but um, just a few years ago, there were about 10 firms of comparable size. Now there's really three big ones and four or five second tier ones. So there's been a massive amount of consolidation in the real estate industry. And while um, we are all in the prop tech world very focused on technology adoption. One of the prerequisites for that is industry consolidation so that uh, large technology products can be rolled out at scale. And so I think we need to remember that in many cases, this consolidation 
is just happened and or is still happening. And it takes a while for well, large firms to not only buy companies, but then to fully integrate them and be able to deploy technology at scale. So I think one of the reasons that we're sort of lagging has been the fact that our industry is consolidating a little bit later than other industries for a variety of reasons. A second reason um, that I think it's very hard uh, and that we may be seen as lagging uh, is that unlike um, di purely digital assets, which get deployed, can be deployed very quickly in many locations, real estate technology has to be deployed you know, in a fairly difficult, complex and difficult way. It has to be deployed often asset by asset, market by market, country by country, region by region. Um, and not only that, but the decision-making tree in any uh, real estate deal and real estate implementation is fairly complicated. You have a whole stack of management companies. You have a whole stack of asset management companies. You have a capital stack. Uh, and then you have the tenants inside the buildings. And all of those constituencies need to be taken care of when you're um, implementing real estate tech. So when you multiply the geographic dispersion of real estate, which is a structural fact of, of, of our business, along with the complexity stack of ownership and decision-making, it makes it very hard to roll out technology. And I think that's one of the reasons that we've trailed. The third thing that I think should be noted is that um, something has changed now. And that is that whereas, whereas in the past, um, technology decisions were generally driven, I'll call it from the supply side, from the service providers and maybe the owners. Um, what we have now is a strong, strong thirst and demand for real estate technology from the tenants themselves, as well as the owners. So whereas uh, in previous generations of prop tech, if you will, it often required a push, now it's getting a pull from the market. And the big services firms, which are um, the places where I have the most experience, are ultimately services firms, which means they provide the service that their customer wants. And so they're going to invest and innovate a little bit ahead of that. But what really makes, what really moves the needle for them is when their customers say they want technology, and that's happening now. It's reached to the customers, and that's why I think we're seeing this big structural shift in the adoption, investment, and uh, uh, deployment of real estate tech. You are listening to the MetaPropCast. We ask you to subscribe and listen to the MetaPropCast on Google Play, iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or YouTube. Or just go to www.metaprop.org and click on Insights. We're speaking today with Ellie Feingold, entrepreneur in residence at MetaProp. Ellie, let's talk a little more about funding. What's your view of venture capital relating to prop tech? Is there a kind of gold rush going on in the real estate tech startup financing world right now? Well, I think the answer is clearly yes. Um, and although that said, some of the numbers that we see are highly skewed by a couple of big deals, right? There was a number, I think, that in 2017, 12.3 or $12.7 billion was raised for real estate tech. But you know, a huge portion of that fundraise went to WeWork, went to Airbnb, went to Katera, and a couple others. So um, there is certainly um, a lot of later stage investing that is um, skewed those numbers. I think in the middle market for companies that are, I'll call it sort of post-seed and into Series A and Series B, um, there is also now a gold rush. There are a lot of funds available. 
you have not only the dedicated financial investor funds uh, like the Fifth Walls and the Metapaps and the Camber Creeks and the Moderns and the Navitas and I can go on, um, plus the allocations within other venture funds that have been gone towards PropTech, but you now also have large corporate commitments to uh, investing in PropTech. So whether that's Westfield's $300 million fund, JLL's $100 million Spark fund, uh, Brookfield's $250 million fund, uh, there's a lot of money focused in that space. So yes, there is absolutely a gold rush. Um, and as I mentioned before, I think that the existence of that permanent or longer term pool of capital uh, will uh, do something that has never been done before in the industry, which is bridge the divide and the down cycle because those companies will have uh, the resources to continue to fund their successful startups even when they're going, the cycle is going down. That said, on the other hand, and this is just my experience, I work with um, a number of later stage companies, but also with some very, very early stage companies, both within Metaprop and in my own portfolio advisory companies. Um, one of the spaces that seems to me has dried up is the sort of pre-seed um, funding from, uh, from angels or even small institutional investors. Um, because a lot of the angels and institutional investors have moved their funds into later stage rounds, often through some of the sort of um, oh, you know, early mid-stage venture capital funds, uh, that there's a lot less money available for the, you know, a good team and an idea uh, to, to get the capital they need to get to market. So while I think that we have a gold rush in the later stages, it seems to me that there's currently a dearth of, of, of capital available uh, for those very early stage startups. And I do worry that that's going to start to um, constrain the pipeline of deals over the next couple of years. Um, since coming to Metaprop, um, what has surprised you about the world of prop tech startups in general? The, the quality, the number, whatever. Well, a lot of things. And Again, there's some of these things are, I will call them surprises, but I'll call them continuing observations since I've seen a few rounds of this. Um, first of all, you know, it's fairly rare for early stage founding teams to have both real estate experience and startup experience and tech experience in the same boat. Um, and those are uh, three individual things. I know when I say tech, many people will think startup, but running a startup is its own skill set. Building a company is its own skill set. Understanding real estate is its own skill set, and building technology is its own skill set. And what I find is that many of the founding teams that I, I, I encounter have either real estate experience or startup experience or tech experience, but very few have all three. Very few even have, have two of those. So that's that's one of the surprises. And if I were um, advising, you know, prospective entrepreneurs, I would say, find yourself a funding group and partner that allows you to fill out those boxes, because I think that your chances of success are higher when you have all three of those skill sets in your core team. Um, I think another thing that surprised me is how strong the bandwagon bandwagon effect can be, and I mean this without any. Um, uh, without any sort of ill will towards um, the companies that are in this space. But for example, um, the hospitality slash amenity companies, whether that's the Convenes or the Homes or the TF Livings or the Hello Alfreds um, that are providing sort of value added, high value amenities, but there has been a rush of capital towards them. Uh, and it's kind of interesting to watch how um, significant 
and quick that rush to capital has been. Um, and with companies in that space, I think that they are particularly well exposed to uh, troubles in a downturn because uh, high touch amenities are one of the first things that goes when people start to get cost conscious. Um, and so I do wonder about uh, the way in which uh, the bandwagon effect draws capital towards certain clusters of companies uh, that none of them have really actually survived the downturn, and yet still there's a significant capital being invested behind that sort of cluster of ideas. Okay. Let me push back on that for one second. Even though amenities are the first to go, generally in a downturn, isn't the balance to that the competition in a rough market for landlords to hold on to tenants, and that that then amenities becomes because it's cost-effective generally um, and adaptable by nature of being startups and more nimble, wouldn't that counterbalance uh, the desire to drop them uh, as competition I the, increases? I, I think that's a fair point. And I think the answer is maybe, who knows? <laughs> and. So, so yes, that's a possibility, uh, but we don't know that for sure. And an enormous amount of capital is being, being committed in advance of knowing the answer to that question. Uh, I do think that the, the businesses whose uh, focus is on um, relationships with the landlords directly will have an advantage there because I do think landlords will be uh, loath to A, um, sort of eat their investments in those hospitality spaces and services. Uh, B will compete as, and, and B will compete, as you said, on quality. Um, the ones that are going directly to the tenants and seeking, um, you know, whether it's HOA or, um, or apartment management companies, you know, multifamily management companies that are delivering services to the tenants. I do wonder about that because I think some of those services are nice to haves and not need to haves. And tenants will eventually say, I'd rather have uh, price savings because I can do some of this myself. I don't need my building for that. In general, what startups have you seen that particularly have caught your attention since entering, re-entering this world? Well, before I talk, let's mention that, I just think that one of the things that's interesting as I select for startups is how many startups come out of both New York City and San Francisco. And there are very good reasons for that, right? New York, San Francisco has uh, you know, the world's greatest entrepreneurial culture and technology base. New York City is the world's greatest real estate city. Nonetheless, both of those cities are highly anomalous relative to most cities in the US and around the world in terms of their density factor, in terms of their uh, demographic makeup, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, as I've been looking at startups, one of the things I have been looking for is companies that are bringing a broader perspective uh, to the conversation. Um, so that said, I'll, I'll tell you about a few of the startups that are interesting to me. So there's a group of companies outside of Metaprop that I'm advising, um, some of which I'll talk about here and some of which I won't, but some of, but they're, they're doing some very interesting things. Um, City Builder out of Seattle is doing, using some fascinating applications of AI and market data uh, to create uh, additional value for homeowners um, and single lot sales sales owners uh, that I think is just 
It's fascinating. Uh, Park Hub, a company I work with here out of Dallas. Um, yes, there are startups in Dallas now. Um, uh, but Park Hub is doing some very interesting things around parking data. Um, they've been primarily in the event parking space, but are moving into the transient and permanent parking space. Uh, and I think that um, parking data is uh, going to be one of the big, big fields of, of real estate in the coming years, both because parking is an enormous asset class, at least by square footage. Uh, you know, there's at least, there's probably, a, for every square foot of office space, there's at least one square foot of, of parking space. So the, the parking market is enormous. And B, because as uh, new services begin to take over, such as transportation as a service, delivery, eventually autonomy, what's happening in parking is going to be a very, very interesting measure of, of where the markets are moving and how they're adapting. And so I think that, that the company like that is extraordinarily well positioned to take advantage of that. Um, another company that I love and that I'm advising is a company called HeroFi, which is on the margins of, of, of connect connectivity to real estate. Well, I'm not sure that's true. They're, they're very much a real estate company, but they're using digital marketing techniques to create dynamic marketing content inside of the world. So they, for instance, work with uh, a casino that's outside of LA They've tied into the weather traffic systems externally. They're tied into the uh, inventory systems of, of the casino internally. And they can flash up signs across the casinos, God knows how many screens, and say, hey, the traffic back to L.A. is really bad. The weather's going to make it worse. Uh, we have, you know, 20 rooms available at a 30% discount for the next hour. Why don't you stay here for the night instead, instead of sitting in traffic on the way back? which creates all kinds of additional revenue opportunities for the casino uh, when well time increases. So those companies, I think, are, are really fascinating. Um, there's another company that I just know I'm not working with out of Dallas called Door, which is on the residential side and is really focused on creating a much more efficient residential brokerage. Um, they are sort of like a compass, but have a very different model. Uh, and I think it's just a, a fascinating company with a tremendous trajectory ahead of them. Some of the other companies out there that I think are really interesting is, is Y Hotel, uh, which uh, I think Metaprop Fund 2 invested in. Really fascinating model uh, where they come into newly developed uh, buildings. They take a portion of the rooms and basically turn them into hotel rooms for a period. Now, I'm a former developer, uh, an actual former real estate developer and part of my career. And I know um, the stress that's involved in leasing up a multifamily building. There's a big period of time when you're waiting for the revenues to come in, and anything you can do to shorten that is, is a positive. And in addition, that rolls all the way back up to the underwriting, because uh, when you're going out and getting your construction and then takeout loans in a new development, if you can say, hey, we've already got 30% of the building committed to a revenue-producing model when we lease up, that significantly changes your cost of capital and the amount of capital you need to get. So I, I think what they're doing is, is just... Uh, is tremendously interesting, and I can't wait to see um, their first product roll out in Baltimore uh, in the next couple months. Yes, we're um, excited by that too. I'm sorry, go ahead though. Go ahead. No, no, that's okay. Um, you know, some of the others that I think are interesting are the companies that are using um, data to automate parts of the real estate process, which are less advisory driven and more data driven. Um, I'm thinking of things like Spruce with title and Bowery with valuations that are really automating a part of the, the real estate process where it's 
it is primarily data intensive. It needs modest amounts of human intervention, but it's incredibly important to the completion of real estate transactions. So I think I think those are those are fascinating. Um, I can go on. Do you want more? <laughs> Yeah. We, there's a lot of companies out there that, that are doing incredible things. There are a lot of companies. We survey uh, probably somewhere between one and two thousand a year uh, globally. So uh, at this point, I think that's a pretty good um, uh, grouping that you've given us. I'd like to ask you kind of the reverse of that. Um, where in uh, prop tech innovation do you see uh, the greatest need in real estate? that's not being addressed. You mentioned parking as an important area. Is there any other areas you, you think are really uh, desperate for prop tech innovation? Well, I think there, there's one that's emerging that's a, a new problem that's going to require a new solution. Um, and that's, that's this. As we all know, the combination of uh, flexible office space, co-working spaces, uh, the sort of new agile office uh, environment, means that we've seen a reduction in um, square feet per person for utilization. So if it used to be uh, at the peak 250, 270 square feet per person, we're now going down to 170. Um, and in some places, we're going down to 130 or 110 um, square feet per person. And that means that you have uh, an enormous amount of stress on the in-building transportation systems for both goods and people. Um, so we're talking about things like elevators. Uh, I've heard a common complaint in, for instance, rework heavy buildings uh, that the elevators take forever because they were designed for about half or half as many people to be using them. So I think that that's an emerging problem created by some very innovative solutions that's going to require some additional innovative solutions beyond just taking the stairs. Because I know that's healthy, but I, I think there's going to need to be some some additional innovation there. Um, I think that um, it is being addressed, and you know we've seen some big investments in things like Terra and others. But I do think that the um, convergence of modular construction and um, and additive manufacturing or slash three D printing uh, is going to be a very very fascinating place in the future. And while it's still a little bit far off to be delivered on a massive scale. We're beginning to see experiments, not only in things like single family homes and small retail, but we've begun to see some high rises that have gone up that are largely modular. Um, I think that that space is going to be incredibly exciting because it has the potential to completely reconfigure the way in which we think about real estate. Um, if a building is modular, can be put up quickly, and then can be taken down and its parts reused, all of a sudden, one of the most environmentally um, costly processes in the world can become a recyclable process. Time to market can be increased dramatically. And potentially, the cost of reconfiguring something, because you can just take off pieces and put new pieces on um, or move those pieces, uh, it could have a profound effect on uh, the underlying valuations of real estate as buildings become less permanent, more mobile, more flexible, etc. Finally, Ellie. What would you like to come away with from your work with Metaprop and in visiting the real estate technology world in general? Well, for me personally, I've had it. There's a few things that I've really wanted. One was, uh, which has already happened and for which I'm very grateful, as I said, was to re-engage with the community that I've been a part of for almost 20 years. Uh, because PropTech really 
Uh, it's becoming a business, but before it was a business, it was a community of innovators who all supported each other. So to, to, to re-enter that community with Metaprop has been wonderful. Um, the second thing that I've been really focused on in Metaprop, and this is a personal thing, is I have been on the corporate side, the corporate strategy side, the corporate venture side, the startup side, the acquisitions, the private equity side. The one side I never sat on was the venture side. Um, so I've been spending a lot of time with Zach Schwartzman uh, and the other members of the of the Metaprop venture team learning about how uh, a venture fund works from beginning to end. And my timing was very good because I came in before fund two closed, so I was able to watch that process and participate in that process. Um, and then I'm now getting an education from your team uh, on how the decision-making process and allocation process works uh, inside of venture companies. So for me, that's a new new area that I'm uh, highly focused on learning about because it's one of the only places at the table that I haven't sat. That, in addition to that, though, Phil, look, I've always been a a prop tech enthusiast and an entrepreneur enthusiast, and so the opportunity to work with some of the great companies that are in your portfolio um, and that surround Metaprop uh, and help those companies grow, hopefully make help them make some connections that will um, accelerate their progress, uh, give them some warnings. Uh, that will uh, hopefully prevent some mistakes. Um, that's a great opportunity for me and something that's just deeply personally satisfying. And also, by the way, to help Metaprop is close. Because as I mentioned at the beginning of this, this uh, discussion, Metaprop is undergoing a whole bunch of changes and is actually a very, very fast-growing company. Uh, and so to be able to be here and advise, the, advise Metaprop as it grows and continues to uh, reach out and have a bigger and bigger influence on the real estate community as a whole and the prop tech community in general is a wonderful opportunity. Well, Ellie, the feeling is mutual. We love having you around. Uh, it's great interacting with you. And we thank you for being on the Metaprocast today. Um, I hope you can come on again and do more with us. Well, I feel like we've just scratched the surface, Phil. There's lots to talk about and I'm always happy to, to to have the discussion. I thank you uh, so much for the time. And I thank the entire Metaprop family uh, for giving me such a warm welcome these last few months. It's our pleasure. You have been listening to the Metapropcast, the podcast of global prop tech innovation. I'm your host, Phil Russo. Thank you for listening and join us again for the next The Metapropcast.